0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to become a community of grace and peace for the good of our city and the fame of Jesus. Every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m., we gather together at the Malco Theater in Carterville, Tennessee to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith by worshiping God through music, scripture, and a message for our life. So if you're looking for a church home where you can feel loved and accepted as part of God's family, then come and join us at Grace Hill Church. You can visit our website at gracehill901.com for more information about our services and what we have planned for the upcoming weeks. We look forward to connecting with you. Now here's this week's message.
1: Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 14, 1 through 13. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do we condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.
0: Thank you, Miss Tina. Um, Pete Scazzaro has this quote that just stopped me in my tracks. And um, uh, the statement was this, differentness makes us uncomfortable. Differentness makes us Uncomfortable. We we've all experienced that, have we not? We've all kind of felt that, lived that, experienced that uh, in our lives. And many times, what can we can attempt to do is we can begin in our relationships um, to just find people who really think and act and behave like us. Do we not? We we try to remove those elements of differentness in our lives so that the people that we associate with, the people that we hang out with, they, they look like us, they think like us, they act like us, they, they care about some of the same things. And, and again, my dad and I were talking yesterday just about uh, kind of this uh, almost like borderline epidemic in our, in our society right now where men feel lonely. They, they, they're craving friendship, they feel lonely. And C.S. Lewis's uh, kind of, uh, he talks about the beginning of friendship is really when one person looks at another person and goes, you too? You know there there are things that that we should have in common with people we're in relationship with, but what we've seen so much in recent years is that we, in some ways, we can work so hard to align ourselves with people who are just like us, and the danger of that, what can happen in a church, in relationships, in our school friends, and our you know wherever it may be, is uh, this this idea of kind of this this these this the alignment away from. Uh, uniqueness or differentness, as Pete Scazzaro calls it, uh, can create tribalism. And so these, these groups of people, they just, they just act the same and think the same and move the same and, and respond to the same things in the same way or they're, they're expected to. And tribal, tribalism can often happen when we take disputable issues and make them indisputable issues. And this not only fractures the unity, where this really is dangerous is it not only fractures the unity within the church, but it also cripples our ability to really effectively engage our world. Because here's why. Um, The world around us doesn't think like Christians do or they they shouldn't they're not they're not believers one of the most powerful passages of scripture uh is in acts 15 it's this big jerusalem council you know that happens and there's all these divisions and factions and it's early in the church and so the apostles get together and they they wade through you know what are we going to say how are we going to respond and and one of them stands up and just says this i essentially is this i just don't think we should make it difficult for people who are returning to the lord Let's just not put stumbling blocks in people's way. Let's just not make it difficult for people who, to return to the Lord. And, and so the, inside the church, Christians, followers of Jesus, we do think different than the world. But, uh, but we, we have to be careful to protect uh, the fact that we can withdraw from the world. We are in the world but not of the world. Jesus said to be light in world darkness and so you can't remove the light from the darkness the light has to illuminate the darkness in those places differentness makes us uncomfortable but it is our differences that actually reflect the kingdom of god so here's an idea that i uh, propose that we embrace this is something that i've been kind of just sort of praying through this idea over these last couple of weeks just to kind of visualize how this might look in our in our church kind of give you a, a picture of this uh At Grace Hill, we want to build bigger tables, not higher fences. We we want to build bigger tables, not higher fences. Uh, We want to make it easy for people to come to the Lord, to return to the Lord, to be part of a community of grace and peace. And uh, our differences can often build fences where fences are just not necessary. And we actually want to call people to just a bigger table. I think we see that in Jesus's ministry. We see that in his life, uh, where he often gets accused of associating with with people that that a rabbi, a teacher, a a prophet in some cases would never be associated with. And I think the church, especially in 2023, should just adapt that and adopt that into our culture where we just want to build bigger tables, not build um, higher fences, in a culture marked by division, it is absolutely crucial for the church to form a countercultural community in that way that is marked by the posture of grace and reconciliation. We must make space for people and their differences. And in this series, uh, which these three kind of big ideas last week was uh, moving from an I-it to an I-thou model in our relationship. Uh, This week, we're looking at three powerful questions to ask. And next week, we're looking at the model of incarnational love of Jesus kind of as our way, as what we wanna embrace. Uh, This all comes from the book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, that I read a little over a year ago. Our staff just finished it this last week. And this really comes from one chapter, almost like one section, just a handful of pages but it so marked my life as I was trying to navigate my own chaos in my life with relationships and people and and just even trying to help my kids sort of navigate their world and, and the differences that they face in life and culture. It so marked me and so shaped me that it, it just felt important that our church should try to come together in this because I'm sure we've all experienced this. I'm sure you've experienced... Um, Some of this pulling away from friends and family and relationships, and you kind of are left with like, you don't understand why. Or you think to yourself, really like over that? And a little bit of encouragement for you this morning is this Romans 14 passage that Tina just read for us. Um, Paul is bringing to bear two things that people were separating over, and it was vegetables and a day of the week. That's what they were being divided over was vegetables, what you can eat and what you can't eat and which day of the week is holy or not. And there were factions and different divisions that were sprouting up because of these differences. And, and Paul wants to call them to three things. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to show us from Romans 14 kind of the macro kind of essence of this. And then I want to get really, really practical and help us with these three questions that I think tomorrow when you go, uh, teenagers, when you go back to school tomorrow, um, when you go into work, when you're a part of a sports team, a group, whatever it may be, I think that these three questions have the power to, maybe they're not going to eliminate the differences and the division and the, uh, the, the the withdrawing or the tension that you feel, but they will help you navigate the chaos as you try to um, go through life and preserve relationships and be a picture of love, uh, grace and peace for the world around you. And so the the first thing here that I think Paul is pointing us to as we navigate this chaos is this, is that Paul would want us to uh, pursue the priority of unity in Christ. Pursue the priority of unity in Christ. Find our unity in Christ. Listen to what he says here in verse 7. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. Paul kind of uses this idea uh, again in one of his other letters where he talks, whether I live or I die. You know, it's it's this kind of whole idea of like, man, whatever we do, we, we do it for the Lord. Listen to what he says here. Christ... Um, uh, and if we die as honor of the Lord, so whether we live or to die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose. Christ died and rose again to give us the opportunity to live for Him, whether we live or whether we die. He died again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and the dead. You see, as followers of Jesus, Paul is reminding this church, and he's reminding us today that we don't live for ourselves. And if there is a, a message that I think should, the church should model in 2023, it is that message. We do not live for ourselves. It's one of the reasons in our vision statement that we started communicating uh, back in January there's a, there's a picture of community there. We want to be a community of grace and peace. That's kind of the, the ethic that we want to model within our church family. But, but then built into the vision was a giving of ourselves. And It's not we want to be a community of grace and peace so that we can be a great church. We don't want to be a, grace, a community of grace and peace just so we could be a bigger church and grow. We want to be a community of grace and peace for the good of our city, It's an outward posture that we wanna have. It's reminding us as a church that we are not just here for ourselves. And then the last part of that vision, for the fame of Jesus, that is ultimately, it's what Paul's getting at here. This is what it's all about. That whether we live or whether we die, we are living and, and giving ourselves for the Lord, to honor the Lord. And that's the reason why Jesus died was to bring us in so that we don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't live for our gain. We don't live for our aspirations. We don't live for our motivations. We've been given a new one that supersedes all others, that we live for the Lord. And what will help us guard Unity in the church is when we come under the idea that what unifies us the most, over and above anything else, is our unity that we have in Christ. In this world that is very driven by divisions, and it is so easy to get sucked into, but this world that is so driven by divisions, the church is called to be this beautiful countercultural community that doesn't find itself unified under vegetables or holy days, doesn't find itself unified over uh, secondary, uh, third-tier issues. No, we unify around King Jesus. We unify around who he is in this world, active and reigning at this moment. And Paul's message here in Romans 14, what he's getting at is that uh, this unity, our allegiance to Christ, supersedes all other personal opinions and differentness that we could have in our lives. We are all part of the same body. We bring all of our diverse backgrounds to this, to this church, to our community. We bring all of that. We don't have to set all of that aside. We bring all of our differentness to the table as a part of the kingdom of God. And Paul is reminding here, and I think the message is to us, that we should pursue unity, pursue this priority of unity in Christ. Number two is this, is he would encourage us to resist the temptation of judgment to resist the temptation of judgment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this particular one because that's actually one of the three questions we want to ask. So I'll break this out a little bit more there, but just listen to what he says. So why do you condemn another believer? Can can you just kind of hear maybe Paul saying that? Looking at, look, you know, it's just kind of visually, I, I read scripture and I'm very visual when I read scripture. So I, I just kind of think like, Paul's writing this, but but if he was standing in front of someone, maybe sitting over you know, a, a, a cup of coffee with them at, at Starbucks, whatever it may be, you see, kind of like leaning up on the table and go, why, why would you condemn another believer? He says, why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. This this church, this church here that Paul was writing to was dividing over, they were judging one another over disputable matters. These these factions of people had kind of sprung up. And some people were saying, well, if you eat this certain food, you know, well, you're bad. And other people were saying, if you worship on this day, you know, this is not the right day to worship on, you should worship on this day. And they were, they were, they were not being charitable in their differences. This this idea of open-handed versus closed-handed issues, they were not being charitable about it, and they were dividing over it. And they were judging one another over it. And Paul says here, why, why do you condemn another believer? They had lost sight. You know it's that Tim Keller quote we used often through the summer series, Encountering Jesus. The gospel is this. You know it's this idea. I'll I'll get the words wrong. I won't, won't say it exactly right, but it's it's this idea: is that the gospel is this. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared imagine, and at the very same time, you are more loved than you could comprehend. We hold those two tensions in in the same breath, in the same body, in the same belief system, that we are more deeply flawed than we could ever comprehend. And at the same time, we are more loved than we can ever imagine. And this church had lost sight of it. And when we divide over these these disputable matters, we lose sight of that. We begin to place our uh, priorities ahead of the community and certainly ahead of the unity that we have in Christ. And the third one is this, seek a kingdom centered perspective. I think this is what Paul's trying to communicate here. Listen to this, what he says, for scripture say, as surely as I live, says the Lord. And then he's, he's giving this picture. Paul's giving this picture of, of one day what will happen when the kingdom of God uh, uh, fully consummates, when the now and the later uh, come together and it is the here and now, the kingdom of God has arrived. And this is what Paul is reminding them. This is what's going to take place. Listen to this. Every knee will bend to me. That's talking about Jesus. And every tongue will declare allegiance to God. You see, what can happen is these little petty divisions, when they elevate over this perspective, this kingdom perspective, what we can begin to do is we can begin to live for the kingdom of ourselves instead of the kingdom of God. We can begin to live for the kingdom of here and now, what's right in front of us, instead of having this kingdom perspective, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He goes on to say this, verse 13, he's uh, just skipping down just a little bit, he says this, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I love that Paul says here to decide. To essentially make up your mind. This is a decision that this church can carry in their lives, decide, make a decision. This is gonna be my aim. I will not cause another believer to stumble and fall over disputable matters. And I think it's the same message to us today. We should decide instead to live a different way. Another translation here, I believe it says, on the contrary, live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. This is a decision that we make in our own lives to say, hey, I'm going to put all of that aside. I'm going to set all of those things aside, these disputable matters aside. I'm going to prioritize finding unity in Christ. I'm going to work super hard not to be judgmental. And I'm going to do everything I can to live with this kingdom perspective in my relationships. And here's the beautiful thing. You can live with a kingdom perspective even with relationships that are not aligned with the kingdom of God. You can still model that. Jesus' words in Matthew 5, to be salt and light in the middle of darkness. And so we can still model these perspectives even when we're in environments that, that would not value these. We can still model that and embrace that and live that out. Paul says to decide. I just, I just gotta like, kind of talk this out for a minute. What if we all decided that was how we were gonna live? I mean, students, what if you made the decision, I'm going to embrace this way of living? What kind of difference would it make on your team? What kind of difference would it make in your classes? What kind of difference might it make even in your home? Parents, grandparents, what, what kind of difference might it make in our friendships and relationships with one another that we may have where there's always gonna be these disputable differences? what if we just made a decision to live in this way? What kind of impact might it have in the culture of our homes, in the culture of our family, in the culture of the the workplace environments we find ourselves in? Paul says here, decide to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So, what I wanna do is I wanna to try to make this super practical. And this is what I love about Pete Scazzaro, whether it's Emotionally Healthy Discipleship or his Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, which I'll be uh, leading another round of that starting probably in September. He really tries to go, okay, I wanna give you some tools. I wanna to give you some ways to think about this that's not abstract, but it's concrete. And so he provides uh, a model with three questions, asking ourselves three questions. As we get into these moments where we're, we're, we're in conflict, we're trying to navigate chaos about a, a myriad of different issues that could be out there in the world, he gives us three questions that no matter who the other person is or persons are on the other side of the disputable issue, the, the chaos, these are questions we wrestle with in our lives as we approach them. So the first one is this. Am I fully present or distracted? Am I fully present or distracted. Let me kind of play this out for a minute. Here's how this works in my own life. When I am not fully present and distracted, you know what I'm distracted by? Often when I'm in these moments of of chaos where I'm trying to navigate, here's what I'm, here's what I was going through my mind. I'm not present because I'm not listening to them. I'm already formulating my rebuttal. And to be fully present, listen to this quote from Henry Nouwen. I, I love Henry Nouwen. If you've never read Henry Nouwen, go today and buy either uh, uh, his book on the prodigal son or go buy uh, his book on, I, I believe it's called The Way of the Heart or something like that. It, it's, it's phenomenal. It'll change your life. But listen to this quote. To care means, first of all, to be present with each other. From experience, you know that those who care for you become present to you. When they listen, they listen to you. When they speak, they speak to you. Their presence is a healing presence because they accept you on your terms and they encourage you to take your own life seriously. And many times in these moments of division, chaos, whatever it may be, I can be so distracted. I'm not present for my kid or my spouse or my friend or a family member or a coworker, whatever. I can be not present for them. I can be very distracted. Why? Because I'm trying to figure out how am I going to counter this? How am I going to respond to this? What's my rebuttal to this issue and this problem? I love this, this little glimpse that we get of the heart of Jesus, the character of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. It's the story of the rich young ruler, Shows up in a couple of other gospels. But this, this story in the, with, about the rich young ruler, he, he comes to Jesus and he wants to know, what, what do I need to do to uh, inherit the, the kingdom of God? What, what is it that I need to do? And uh, Jesus and, and the rich young ruler has this kind of back and forth exchange. And uh, he talks about, I've, I've kept all the commands, all the different things. And Jesus looks at him and says, um, go sell everything you have and then you can come follow me. And the kind of the end of the story is the man goes away really sad because a lot of possessions and he values those. But in the midst of this exchange in the gospel of Mark, we get this glimpse at the heart of Jesus. And I think this kind of shows us that in the midst of this, Jesus was fully present. He was not distracted. I love this. Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 21 says this. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him looking at the man. He felt genuine love for him. Jesus was fully present in this moment. Jesus wasn't trying to think about his his counter, his rebuttal, his response to this. Jesus saw the man. He saw the tension even in the man that he was wrestling through. He wanted to be in right standing. He, He wanted to inherit the kingdom of God. That's why he was coming to Jesus. He wanted to know this, but he was so torn about what to do. And even in the midst of his chaos that the rich young ruler was trying to navigate, and I think because of who Jesus is, he's fully God and fully man, I think Jesus knew the outcome of this story. Even before the rich young man went away sad, Jesus was looking at him and felt genuine love for him. He was fully present and not distracted. I was at a restaurant a couple of weeks ago having lunch with a friend and and I, I got so distracted, not, we, we were, it was a, just a friendly lunch, it was fine. I got so distracted because a couple came in to have lunch together. Was, they were kind of lunch dating. And, and a couple came in to have lunch together, and she held out her hand like this. When they sat down at the table, she held out her hand like this and she pulled out her cell phone and put her cell phone in her hand and he put his cell phone on top of it and then she reached into her purse and pulled out like a little black bag and put both their phones in the black bag and zipped it up and stuck it to the side and I was so distracted by that because I thought this is what I thought they are intentionally trying to be fully present with one another Maybe they were going to get into it. Maybe they were going to, you know, really like work through something. Maybe it was just a friendly lunch. I don't know. But they wanted to be fully present with one another as they were getting ready to sit down and have lunch. I was so, I was honestly like, I kept looking over, like I kept waiting for, you know, something to happen, you know, through the course of this lunch because I'd never seen that before. But I think that's a picture when we're trying to navigate chaos with friends, family, our kids, grandkids, whatever it may be. It's that picture of being fully present present with them, listening to them, hearing them. And I said this last week, I, I, I'm not coming to you down off the mountain saying, I have figured this out. My, my whole family is sitting right here on the, on the front row. They're all sitting there going, oh, dad, uh, you, you, you got to tell them you're not good at this sometimes, because I'm not. I can be so distracted in these moments of navigating chaos, of, of trying to figure this out. I can be so distracted. But, but this is a question that gives us pause, Am I, am I fully present in this moment or am I distracted? Because here's what i tell you. In those moments where, where that has come to mind and I have wrestled with that question in the midst of trying to navigate this chaos, the temperature has gone down. I have leaned in. My presence has leaned in in the midst of that conversation. I might not be as quick on my feet, which I'm already not, Kelly will tell you, I, I tend to I don't handle conflict well all the time. I, I, I don't like it and I don't handle it well all the time. But the, the, the temperature for me even just comes down a little bit because the goal is not for me to win. The goal is not for me to prove my point. The goal for me is to be present. I wanna be present in that moment. The second thing is this. Second question, am I loving or judging What's my posture? Maybe, maybe you're trying to be present. And the next question to wrestle through is, am I loving in this moment or am I judging? Peace Scazzaro, in his book, he says this, and when I say judge people, I mean turn our differences into virtues of moral superiority. And in doing so, we create never-ending ways to subtly categorize people and diminish their humanity. We talked about this last week with moving from an I-it in our relationships to I-thou in our relationships. And Pete Cazero says, one of the questions we've got to wrestle through as we journey through this, as we try to navigate this chaos, is am I loving or am I judging? What's my posture here? What's my, what's my place here? What's my, what's my position here? Am I loving or am I Judging. Here's a few verses uh, to help us uh, this morning. Uh, Matthew 7, middle of the Sermon on the Mount, ethic of the kingdom of God. Jesus has just concluded a whole section uh, where in your translation it might say, uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is, the, this is kind of the normal way to do life, but I'm giving you a new way to do it in the kingdom of God. If you're going to follow me, here's a new way to do life. And he says this starting in verse one of chapter seven. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And the irony there in that passage is, is if we work to try to get rid of the log in our own eye, we will just continue to see how imperfect we are and we'll stay focused essentially on ourselves and letting God redeem our lives and redeem ourselves and redeem our character and redeem who we are. Jesus says here, don't, Don't judge others. Do not. It's a command. Do not judge others. The half-brother of Jesus, uh, James, in his self-titled book, um, James chapter 4, says this. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job, I love that. This is your job. (laughs) Your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now Jesus says, don't judge, do not do this. James, the half brother of Jesus kind of echoes him in his self titled book says, what right do you have? But Jesus does actually command us to do something. And if you go with me to John chapter 13, you're gonna see this pretty clearly. John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. You might have been in relationships where somebody took that and you, you felt more like the commandment was judge each other. But Jesus here is very clear. He says, I'm giving you a new command. You are to love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I have, like I said, I have three uh, teenagers. Emma's 18, headed off to college this week, pray for us. Uh, I have a 16-year-old, Ava. She is uh, in the 11th grade at Houston. And I have a 13-year-old daughter named Lila who is in eighth grade at West Carver Middle. And then we have Cody who's about to be 10. He'll be 10 at the end of the month. And uh, this, is, this is a silly illustration, but I'm trying to make the point for you. Um, w- there is never-ending new slang that I have to keep up with as a dad. Uh, now the irony of this is, is I kind of laugh at it and I'm a little frustrated by it sometimes because I can't keep up, but I'm sure it was the same way, you know, when everything was hip or, you know, fly or, you know, whatever it was we said back in the, you know, nineties and our parents were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I I can't keep up with this. But lately there's been kind of three words around our house that I've had to learn. I have had to learn what these mean. Um, My son walks around all the time and and says the the phrase, let's go, but he doesn't say it just like that. He doesn't just say, let's go. He says it, let's go like that. And he's real animated and really excited. Cody is not saying, let's go get in the car and go because I have football practice. Let's go is slang for essentially excited. (laughs) I'm pumped. This is awesome. Let's go. Okay, so that's one. Another one uh, that I have had to learn is uh, the word bet. (laughs) Now, bet is not something that we do, you know, on like uh, fanduel.com or something like we're replacing sports bets. Uh, That's not what bet means. Uh, Bet in this slang term is like this kind of like emphatic, like, yes. I said it this morning, like I didn't even mean to this morning. And somebody said something and I was like, bet. I've had to learn that. A couple of others that, that you know, keep me uh, a little busy in the house is this one, uh, bus or bussin'. Now, bus is not public means of transportation with slang and bussin' is not like bussin' tables like our first jobs you know, that we all have. Bus or bussin', and see, I've even gotta read this because I can't keep it all straight. Um, it, is, <laughs> it is actually a way to call something tasty. That's what bus or bussing means. So, you know, we can go to dinner and I can say, hey, how's your you know, cheese quesadilla? Because that's all you get. How's your cheese quesadilla that I just paid $7.99, $7.99 for? And their reply to me will be, oh, it's bus. <laughs> right? Here's the last one. Now, this, this one's going if to, if you don't have grandkids or kids, this one's going to blow your mind. That eight. Now, when a kid says, this is all going somewhere, I promise you. When a kid says, that ate, it does actually not mean that somebody ate something. That ate is actually a way of saying that something looks good or something looks good on you. So I will regularly get this, and I'll pat myself on the back for this one. Uh, Lila will regularly tell me when I come in sometimes, she'll say, she'll look at me, she said, Dad, you're fit ate today, By the way, fit is not your athletic fit. Fit is what you're wearing. And Lila will look at me and say, dad, you're fit eight today. Emma had a friend who, they're all laughing at me. Emma had a friend who worked at the Starbucks over here. And when they remodeled it, you know, she put up something like they thought they ate because the, she didn't like the way it looked. And I was like, I don't understand that. Why did they eat in the Starbucks? Like, that doesn't make sense. And she's like, Dad, it's a way of saying it doesn't look good. You know, so confusing. Here's the point Am I loving or am I judging? In those moments, I'm trying to just illustrate this just to kind of put it in concrete terms. In those moments, with all my kids slaying, I could judge them for saying that. I could look at them and criticize them and be like, hey, that's so silly, that's stupid. I could, you know, all of those things. But what I've tried to do, and again, this is a very sort of loose illustration here, what I've tried to do is step into their world and show them that I I care for them, I'm present with them, I I, I love them, but by letting them essentially make fun of me at my self-deprecating humor of not understanding totally their slang and now using it in a message illustration. But it's a question that we all have to wrestle with when we step into these moments where there's chaos, where there's division, where there's misunderstanding, is am I loving or am I judging? Are we gonna step into their world? Or are we gonna stay out and criticize? Here's the third question. Am I open or closed to being changed? Now listen to what Pete Scazzaro says about this. This question is the deal breaker for many especially if the other person is not a Christian? Why should we be open to being changed, especially about something we consider consider a fundamental value or when we know the other person is wrong? We need to be open to being changed because it's a requirement for dialogue. If we are closed to being changed, the best we can hope for is a one-sided monologue. This happened to me a few years ago. There was a particular kind of issue that that was in our still very present in our in our society and our culture, and it frustrated me whenever this issue would kind of be discussed in certain circles or I would hear about it kind of outside, either you know social media, or whatever it be. I, I held I held a particular posture about this issue. And it deeply frustrated me whenever I would hear this discussed because I held this posture so closed in my hand. And I felt every time I heard about this being discussed, I just felt that the other people were wrong and I would judge them and I would criticize them and I I certainly would not be present for them. And one day, somebody asked me this question. They said, why does this issue make you feel this way? And I went, I don't know. It wasn't even a primary issue. And so I began to kind of go down this journey of proximity to this issue. I began to read, I began to listen to podcasts. I, 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 I had conversations with friends who were on different perspectives about this issue than I have been. And I really tried to sit and take a posture of monologue. Matter of fact, one individual that I met with repeatedly, this is what I said, whenever I start to get defensive, you have permission to look back at me and tell me, hey, you're getting defensive about this right now. You're not asking a question. You're trying to defend your position. And through that process, I actually changed. I changed my perspective on this particular issue that's kind of out there in our world. Why? Because the proximity bred empathy in my life. And I took a posture of being open to change about something, which led to dialogue and not monologue as God began to do something in my heart and change my heart about this particular issue. The reality is this, is following Jesus is wrestling with this question. If you are a follower of Jesus, you wrestled with this at one point in your life. Are you open or close to being changed? Are you gonna live in rebellion to God? Or are you gonna come under his love, his grace, his mercy, and his saving power? Are you open or close to change? And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you said, I'm open to change. I'm open to not living for myself and I'm open to living for the kingdom of God. I'm open to following Jesus as my Lord and my savior. You have wrestled with that question. And see, here's what's beautiful about the gospel of Jesus is Jesus has modeled all of these himself. Every single one of these, Jesus has modeled these. In our brokenness, When what we deserved was judgment, Jesus stepped in and he modeled love, offering his life. We're going to talk about this next week in more detail, but he became fully present to the point to where he stepped out of heaven fully God. It's this theological term, the incarnation, and became in human Paul talks about it in Philippians, it's the center uh, point of the the book of Philippians, that he did not count himself, uh, equality with God, something to be grasped. Instead, he humbled himself. He loved us so much, he became fully present with humanity. And he has made it to where you, not in your own power, not in your own strength, not in your own works, but because of his grace and mercy, can change. Am I fully present or distracted? Am I loving or judging? Am I open or closed to being changed? Jesus has rescued us and he has invited us into this posture towards people as we navigate chaos. Let's pray together. Father, you're good, your mercy endures forever. And I pray this morning that we would... uh, wrestle through this, we would, we would ask ourselves these questions, we would posture ourselves in a way. Jesus, I know this is that none of us want to be on the other end of this. None of us want to be in a relationship across the table with somebody where they're distracted and they're not present. None of us would want to sign up for a, a, an environment of, of being judged all the time. And the issues that we care deeply about, we would want the people who are on the other side of the table from us, we we would want them to be open to change. So Father, I pray we take a similar posture. We love you. You're good to us. Um, And I pray today that we would live in light of your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.